Hello, my name is Fergal O'Keefe and you're very welcome to the Galway City Your Council podcast series where we will share insights on the range of services, projects and people in the Galway City local authority area. Galway City Council provide a diverse range of services including beach maintenance, dog pounds, health promotion, strategic planning, tourism promotion and housing supply. This series will introduce you to some of the people delivering those services and the valuable work they do every day in Galway City. For more information on Galway City Council, please go to our website www.galwaycity.ie. Our guest this week is Emmett Humphreys, who is the Senior Executive Architect in Housing with the Galway City Council. Emmett discusses his career as an architect from his studies in Sweden to a private practice in Drada, to public service in Roscommon and Galway. Emmett has always had a keen interest in urban planning and the crucial role of collaboration between all the stakeholders, including civic, commercial, community and cultural interests. This is a fascinating discussion for anybody interested in what our towns and cities could and should look like in the future. Emmett, you're very welcome to the podcast. Great to see you. Thank you very much, Fergal. So first of all, could you tell us your role and your title and your role, what you do with Galway City Council? My title is Senior Executive Architect, <clears throat> working in housing capital and social inclusion. You have a very interesting career. I mean, are you able to <laughs> sum up your career? Because I think it's very interesting where you've come from. So you came from private into the public service, like a little bit about maybe about your background and how you ended up with the Galway City Council. Yeah, I qualified in... 2000 in Bolton Street architecture and proceeded more or less within a year to set up my own practice uh, in Drada, County Loud, where I would have had a practice of about 20 people. We would have done large scale developments, housing, some roads, bridges, worked for the council, building council housing, worked for developers, worked in an awful lot in the kind of uh, heritage. Drada has 18 ACAs architectural conservation areas, 490 protected structures, and then the World Heritage Site of Brunabonia, Newgrange. So we worked within that kind of complex situation about, you know, the pressure that Drada would have with development, trying to, you know, allow development to happen while still trying to protect the the, uh, the heritage value of the, of, the, of the town. So I had that practice for about 17 years, um, when I relocated to the West and gave up the practice, which I absolutely was uh, very fond of. But new opportunities came and uh, I started working in Roscommon County Council first, uh, working on town plans, uh, which was a completely kind of what I'd done my thesis on or what I worked on. Um, so it was kind of it gave an opportunity to work on the other side. When you were with the Roscommon County Council, you co-authored a plan called Boyle 2040, which was a, an urban plan for that town. But what I found interesting looking at your career was that plan sort of summed up your whole career about your ideas about urban planning from your student days on. Isn't that right? Yeah, the the, the, the genesis of the, the Boyle plan. Um, and that's why the opportunity came up. I'd gone to, I'd gone to college in Bolton Street, but I'd done an Erasmus uh, in Sweden, in Lund. And they have a fascinating kind of studio that I was part of, and I ended up teaching in for about seven, eight years. The um, It was part of the ELOUD, the International Laboratory of Architecture and Urban Design. 
And the professor there had this kind of um, project about called city-based dwelling space. It's about building at a city level and building at a a, a, a room and a, 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 a unit level. And it's about people, you know, it's people-centric about neighbourhoods and, and how that works. So that education was quite new to me when I when I went to Sweden and when I kind of saw how it works in reality and 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 kind of went down to Italy and and saw the way that they build and and made towns. So my my thesis was based on that for Drada was Drada and urban analysis. So I'd kind of been working on it for about the boiled plan concept for about you know twenty years when the opportunity came up, and I was lucky enough to meet a really uh, interesting team in in Roscommon who who were already established. Uh, Alan O'Donnell and Nola Quaish and the chief exec um, had really instructed us that there was five towns dying in Roscommon uh, and one new town and they wanted to actually make a plan that would make that rejuvenate these towns or what could we do to rejuvenate the towns and I just drew what I knew and what Nolik and Alan and the chief executive Eugene had been had been working on for a number of years um, to make that that plan and to see if they could stitch it. There was only three people living in Boyle. There used to be three thousand people living in Boyle. So you know, there's so much space just vacant and lying there and empty, and you've got a housing crisis on. So you know that was the opportunity to, as I said, to kind of nearly poacher turned gamekeeper that concept that you're working in private practice you're constantly trying to uh develop and get development going and you look at the the local authority and the, and the, and you know the finding it difficult to get over the line and then you 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 turn around and you actually work within the local authority and you see the complexity and the difficulties that are there and um that was an opportunity to 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 start my local authority career, if you put it that way, um, with Boyle and Boyle 2040. It was a really, really good opportunity. What I found really interesting, like as you said, it can be implied anywhere in any town or city. It's about the, you know, the development like of places, maybe old buildings, maybe even listed buildings that are buildings that are, you know are, have to be conserved, but they could be used about changing the whole areas, interconnecting areas, public spaces. So that's the part I found found really fascinating because like just say even like you're in Galway, is it is it harder being in a medieval city, like the older the city from the point of view of being able to make changes? Uh well I suppose the going back to the, the, the Swedish uh school, the and that was based with, you know, Giancarlo in, in Urbino. So you're talking about very ancient, beautiful urban settlements. And then working in Drada for years and working with all that protective structures and all that ACAs, I, I see that as an opportunity more than a, than a, you know, difficulty. Uh, if you look at Galway, you know, Galway in 1940 had 20,000 people living in it. And we've increased four times in population to 80,000 people, but our footprint has increased by 24 times. So, you know, we're now occupying six times more space per person than we did in 1940. So if you look, and Boyle is an example of that. Boyle is 3,000 people living in Boyle, now there's three, in that area that we'd studied. Um, 
so there's a big challenge for us to 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 live in without taking up so much land because every bit of land we're taking is probably agricultural land and is of high value um and can we can we so the question you asked was you know the medieval core that's only probably a 20 you know one twentieth five percent of the of the land that we we are covering at the moment so the problems that we have or the opportunities that we have in the city core um is one question and then you've got questions about the suburban areas and the areas that are are peripheral and you know you start to think about the you know the neighborhoods what are those neighborhoods like where are the places where people walk meet each other have a coffee you know if you think of italy and the squares of italy or you know even in sweden you know people conjugate and they meet and they cycle and they bump into each other we're very car centric in the other 95% of galway so the image of galway that we have is the medieval core but that's only a small part of galway there's an awful lot more of galway that you know doesn't have neighborhood centers where people conjugate and i and i think that's another opportunity so i think there're two different opportunities you know you actually talked about developing a medieval city which was Drogheda in a TED talk and you talk actually as an example you talk about Venice and you talk about comparing Venice to Angkor Wat and how Venice thrived and Angkor Wat died and again I think that gave a great insight into your idea about urban planning particularly in a medieval town. Venice has always been uh, an important model for me because this was the um, it's where we went to on our study trips from Sweden. I've been to Venice maybe 12 times teaching down there and using it as a as a template of compact growth. Like if you're talking about compact growth and living in a beautiful place, like anybody would object to living in Venice, okay, without the tourists and the, you know, the difficulties of moving around, but they're, they're beautiful spaces to live into. And they're very, very compact. So Brada and Venice were the same size, about the same size. But Drada had 30,000 people and Venice had 300,000 people. What I was trying to say is that you could live in the density of Venice and, and never change Drada and just build it up layer and layer and layer. So that was a kind of conceptual idea. So then I would take one block of Venice with one block of Drada and then I would make an analysis of that to show how much space there was in the block. And there was a a guy called Hernando de Santo, who was this uh, economist, I think Peruvian economist, but he, he said something about dead capital. And that really made sense to me, that we have this dead capital okay. sitting in the block. And if we were inventive enough to change that, you'd, you'd, you'd maximise the value out of that. And I, like it was like, guys, you know, Indrada and, you know, in the local authorities, like, guys, we've got gold here. We've got to use this. We can't just keep building out. And the difficulty is, is that the people who have one plot don't like the people who live beside them. Or the guy who lives on the north side, actually, he already is quite happy with his lot. He doesn't want it to change. We don't engage into the really difficult urban question, which is about how do we make the city work or how do we make the block work? Exactly. So we just we just leave it rot, and that's that seems so terrible and so wasteful. Exactly. That, you know. So 
Anchor Watt for me was was that idea, that concept, because I went to Anchor Watt and it was hidden in the jungle. Mm. And you're like, how did they go from something so amazingly dynamic? But when they owned it, they just thought there was no way we're never going to be the top dog in this area. You know, and 3000 years later, it's buried in a, in a jungle. And, and that kind of gives you the idea. Are there going to be cities of the future that are going to be buried in jungles? You know, in Italy, there's already areas where they're, they're, they're saying you can buy a house for a euro as long as you exactly. live there and, and do them up. You know, with the climate change and the climate crisis that we have, there might be places that are just too too hot to live in, you know? So we've got to be able to to change and to be adaptable. And I think that was the idea of Venice. You know, they they were they were a group of people who were forced to live yeah, there. Like I like I love the way you describe how you know they like say the blocks, individual separate blocks, weren't interconnected bar by water and then over time they start just by connecting up by bridges dramatically opened up and that shows how by changing your your you know the the city can dramatically change it yeah like and i like i've tried to read up about this and there is really good urban studies and kind of morphology of like how does the how does the structure change over time how does the urban structure morph over time and the morphology of that. And I understood that each of those islands are like a village. They have the campo, they have the well, they have, if you read The Invisible Cities by Calvino, um, he talks, it's Kublai Khan talking to Marco Polo and um, talking about all these incredible cities and the city of towers and the city of wells and the city of staircases. And Kublai Khan is on his deathbed and he says, I'm so sorry, I'm never going to see them. And he goes, at the end of it, he goes, you have, it's Venice. You know, it's got all the city of bridges. It's, you know, it's just mm-hmm. multi-layered. And each of those little islands would have been their own little commune. But when somebody came up and says, look, I'm sick of after you get my boat, get over to the other one. Somebody built a bridge at the beginning. Somebody built one bridge from one commune to another commune. And that must have been a dramatic change for that. Uh, island to allow another guy to to build a bridge to so (laughs) then they thought that was a great idea so then they built another bridge to the other side but the guys from the first uh, island that was connected would walk through the second island to meet the guys on the third island the guys in the second island must have been saying hold on a second you're not allowed to walk through us to get to the other guys (laughs) you know and to make it successful, we have to give up rights and to leave rights of passing through a rights of way. So if we were to go back to the block in uh, in the EU bid and we got everybody collectively together, the only way to make it work is that if you could open up the laneways and make that permeability and make a square in the middle of it, like the Phoenicians did, and then you said, Okay, you're going to lose some land, but you're going to gain an access. The value of everybody's site would go up collectively. You can only do block design collectively. You can't do it individually. It just doesn't make any sense. And I reckon the Phoenicians were so limited with their footprint that they couldn't keep expanding into the Laguna because the Laguna is just too deep. 
so they could only stay on the mud flats that they had. And as the population grew, they had the wealth and they had the power and they had the social order and the you know the structure to turn around and say, look, guys, for the good of Venice, we need to open up these rights away. We need to allow Island A to get through Island B to get through Island C. And if we were to do that within a block within Galway, that would transform that block. But it would need all the participants of that block to actually allow that to happen. And that's the Phoenician negotiation. That's the concept of Phoenician negotiation. How did the Phoenicians negotiate that right of way? And I'm, I'm not sure of how that happened or you know who, who instructed that to happen, but it did happen. And that's why you've got that intricate, open you know, access. All the public space in Venice is in the middle of the block. If you think about it, the water is the streets. And then the block is got the campo. The campo and the church are all in the middle, more or less. And if we were to do that with our blocks, we would put the public space in the middle. All the new housing could face out into that block. It would be a lovely residential block. It would be quiet. And um, you'd have the fire exits. You'd have disabled access. You could have your bin storage. You could have all those things working within the middle of the block. But if you don't gain all access to the middle of the block, you can't achieve that. It's an impossibility. So it was studying Venice and applying Venice then to Drada um, gives you that con- concept of block design and Phoenician negotiation. Well, I mentioned about the uh, Grenada earlier and the Alhambra is a great example of, you know, like you're outside a building and it's like wall and then everything is inside or any, you know, in Morocco, in Marrakesh or Fez, you know, it, that's an ancient Arabic style, isn't it? So it's yeah, interesting. The Alhambra yeah. is a fantastic. I love the Alhambra. Um, mm. And Seville is like that as well. Yeah. And Cordoba, you know, so you've got those fabulous squares and, and courtyards that can actually be places to live. Yeah. And, you know, and, that, and now all of a sudden it's not about, you know, horrible spaces and density and not being able to have my house and my car you give up that but you gain this you can't have both yeah you know that as somebody said like in Cork one of the planners in Cork or the architects of Cork said everybody wants half acre site in Patrick Street with a sea view you know (laughs) you know that's just a nonsense you know We've, we've got to kind of we've got to make up our mind you know what we're going to do yeah. And I, I do think, as we said earlier, like, you know, that idea of, of uh, you know, having to make changes because of, uh, you know, the Paris Accord 2050, maybe we're going to be pushed. Maybe that's the thing that's going to catalyst, that's going to push us in that. Because everything you're saying to me makes complete sense, you know. Yeah, the the, the Paris Accord gives us the stick and there should be a stick there. But while we're doing it, why not take, you know, why not make something really beautiful? You know, instead of seeing it as a negative thing, say, well, look, the old thing, we're not able to do that. And the reason why we can't do that is because of this reason. But instead of saying, well, that's where we're we're signed up to apartment living and high density and, you know, all that horrible stuff. And it's just going to be terrible. Why don't we flip that on its head and say, well, look, why don't we tackle 
and make some really beautiful streets and 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 and, and homes and neighborhoods. Yeah, you know, I I see the Paris Accord as a as a as a potential as a, as the professor said it was a um an opportunity that we're our friend, you know, let's make environmentally stable housing, not just the way they're built, but where they're located. Right. So you you had a conference there recently, and the the guy there was one guy who was talking at it. Thought he had a great line. He said. Uh, Planning must hurt because it runs against private interests. So a planner has to have a knife in their pocket because the cut <laughs> they make is very sharp. <laughs> that was some quote, wasn't it? Yeah. I uh I think I I, I really feel I, there was another quote where it wasn't all about planning. It was about investment. And that an awful lot of what's happening at the moment is investment engineering we're we're taking a brief that's an investment brief and it's been engineered you know and that's one very poor value Uh, and i think the chat and as and i think working for developers and working in private practice you see the other values that are not taken into the environmental values, the social values. And, uh, and I think we, I don't want to be kind of overly developer negative because an awful lot of those clients I had were really good developers, really good house builders, and they made really good things. Uh, and I think it's back down to where, where's, where's the investment? Where's the long-term investment of, of Galway or Ireland or Europe? Um, what do we want to build? What do we want to make? Instruct that and then let the developers develop that. You know, I think sometimes the, the discussion happens too late mm. where we're, we're allowing it up to other people to decide and, and, and they, they put proposals up that we're actually then we're bringing them to high court to, to decide, you know, a, a kind of legal planning system that just doesn't seem to make. It's just far too late at that stage, you know, so. Peter Barber, the the architect in in London, calls architecture is war. You know that this sense that you're you know to get you know a social value, you know you're you're up against uh, all these interests. I'm always a collaborator. I'm much more of somebody kind of would like to see and 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 kind of hear. Okay, there's investment and you want to get a return of that and you're a house builder, you're a builder and you want to get a, a return of that. That's fair enough. You're, you know, you want to move traffic from one side or, you know, bus connects and you want to have biodiversity and you want to have, um, you know, safe movement of children and schools. And, you know, you, you start layering all these needs and you start to work and you start to draw and you start to communicate and you start to make. Uh, and I think that's a much healthier way to work than to 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 put up a, a kind of a a shop frontier that says i'm doing this and you know hell or high water the hell or to connect you know back to oliver cromwell you know that this idea that you're actually kind of saying we want compact road i think that's the first thing you know in galway do we want compact road do we want to try to build the city into a sustainable city why not say europe's most sustainable city or why not have aspirations to to have lovely neighborhoods with lovely way to move 
um, or are we going to have a car dominated and sprawl? Are we going to continue to sprawl out of the city? And, and I think that's for me is, is a fundamental question. If the, if the answer to that is collectively, we'd like to build neighborhoods and we'd like to stop the sprawl and we'd like to see that cultural hinterland. Um, then I think we've a nice starting point to actually start to say, well, now how do we densify? You know, and what areas do we group together to to work on more neighborhood plans as opposed to a city plan and then a housing plot plan? You know, and if you've got a more neighborhood plan, a little bit like Boyle 2040, Boyle 2040 took an area, not just one plot, uh, Westport plan, they took a whole town, 10,000 people. We can make a plan for areas that are kind of in between the, the, the city plan of one to 20,000 and then the, the housing plan of one to 500. So there's no certainty for an investor, investor or a house builder when they're looking at going to judicial reviews or, um, that why not get the plans early, tie in the concept of the neighborhood, tie in the access and the routes through and where's the school going and, and build that kind of certainty into these areas. And then we get on with the business of building and in a, in a proactive kind of collaborative way. Um, because if you leave it to individuals to come up with their own idea, uh, a little bit like the block, people will have different views about how to do it. And collectively, you don't have that. So maybe we need to have that Phoenician negotiation at, at a neighborhood scale as well. Um, so I, yeah, I, I think it can be polarizing when you talk about, you know, the planner needing the knife in the back pocket and to, you know, or the developer is the baddie or, you know, the, 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 the cycle lobby or the, you know, the young people or the, you know, I'm back to the idea of the, of the Merlin Woods. Why are we going to, the, the, we're not making a, a, a gated community for just one type of person. You know, we, that's, that's not what we're trying to achieve in, you know, in Galway is, is, you know, it's, it, it's a, we're 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 all quite different and, and quite together you know but if we work together i love that idea you talk about like you know the block and so if we work together things can only be better you know yeah what's the alternative if if there was five people got into a car and one person wanted to go to belfast one person wanted to go to limerick one person wanted to go to Zola, one wanted to go to the spittle like you're going nowhere yeah, you know, it's very disjointed. So then everybody gets out of the car and goes their own way. Exactly. Where, yeah. Whereas if we, I, I think going back to just a simple block, one block, and all those landowners who are sitting on in land and they can't develop it because of no access and old buildings and this and that and the other. If you were to do it collectively, you are able to open up that block. Each individual landowner. You need to listen to their concerns to actually see what do they want and how can you fit it in with them. And it mightn't be able to be possible, but there's an awful lot bigger chance of making successful um, um, solutions, um, plans, if you've got one coordinating place for that to happen. And then everybody has a chance of progressing. I think that's why Greenfield's development is so successful. Because you don't have any of that complexity. And if we keep working on the lowest common denominator, like it's easy and it's cheaper, 
then we'll keep getting the same answer, which is sprawl. Mm-hmm. So we have to, you know, be more Phoenician. We need to be more able to make hard decisions and to be able to talk and be able to negotiate to 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 work the block and to work those those plans out. I saw an interesting thing. I was looking up about this topic and someone was saying, like saying Irish people, we didn't have an industrial revolution properly. So that's how we developed outside the city. How did this happen? Yeah, I had a very funny conversation in Roscommon when the one of the, the genesis of all plans and all discussions, I think, is the people. So Boyle had a, a very good town team or group of people who wanted to talk about the town. But also uh, Roscommon Town, they, they came together and they had a, a very interesting bunch, very dynamic bunch. And we were sitting and during the conversation, they were saying, I remember growing up in Boyle, or not Boyle, in Roscommon in the 60s. And, you know, the Murphys lived next door and across the road was the O'Shea's and they had their business and we all played out in the street and all the kids used to walk to school together. And, you know, it's terrible that it's not like that anymore. And I was like, but where do you live? And we live out down the, you know, the Athlone Road there, you know, two miles out of the town. And so do the O'Shea's and so do the Murphy's. And everybody who was a merchant or who lived in the town saw that it wasn't, it was like a tenement. You were living over the shop. And, you know, maybe it's a heyday back to, you know, tenements, Georgian tenements. Right? It was to have your house half acre it was safer than bringing children up in the town. And so all the people who had money and who had shops and everything ended up leaving the town centre leaving above the shops empty and sprawling out into the landscape. And that are the same people who are coming back in who still own the business and saying, why we really need to do something about bringing people back into the town. So I think there's a bit of a, a key there that, you know, who is living in the town centre and who wants to live in the, the in you know, the town centre. You know, it's a little bit different when you talk about Galway because Galway is quite large compared to but you could talk about Salt Hill or you could talk about Ballyban or you could talk about uh, Renmore. You know, there's where are those squares? Where Why did people leave, you know, more urban spaces to get into one-off houses, basically? Do you think that attitudes are changing now or is it up to us to, to sort of make those attitudinal changes? So, like, just say for younger people, getting them to move back in, are older people, you know, who maybe don't need as big a house to move back in? And how do we, you know, is that something that we want to do? And is and how do we go about that? Yeah, and that's a bit of a complex question. I think affordability is probably the one of the keys of that. I think an awful lot of people who commute into Galway would possibly like to live in Galway. Um, but there's the opportunity there might be outside and it, it's just easier to end up building a house and commuting, it might not be more economic in the long run. But, you know, the immediate immediate solution is that I think you can see it probably with people who are going to university. It might be cheaper to get a car and to drive into into university than it is to actually be able to get digs and stay in university and have a university life. Um, I did a public uh, kind of meeting there we just put up a stall in shop street a couple of years ago uh on the sandy road and it really hit me where there was a bunch of young people kind of in their early 20s 
And I had the stall up there, Galway City Council, you know, Sandy Road Development and trying to get, you know, feed in, feedback or whatever. And the girl said to me, I went over to her because she was looking for it. She was there for about 20 minutes. So I went over to her and I said, look, you know, do you want to hear about the project, whatever? And she says, there's no point. You're sure you're not interested in us. And I said, you're exactly the person I'm interested in. You're the voice. So I ended up engaging the conversation with about five or six of these kids who were kind of feeling that they were going to end up living in Tume or living in Ballinrobe or somewhere because they couldn't afford to live in Galway and there was nobody taking care of that situation for them. And I was like, oh, well, what we need to do is we need your voice to be heard. So you need to kind of give that voice to me. That gives me a brief to be able to help to deliver something for you. And it's an awful shame that sometimes it's the loudest voices who are well organized, who are, you know, who end up getting served. And, you know, if you think about it, there's 80,000 people living in Galway. And we're projecting another 50% increase by 2040 in the, you know, the uh, National Development Plan. And we have 30,000 people driving in and out of the city every day. But those, 40,000 and the 30,000 people, they don't have a political voice within the city. So the 80,000 have a political voice and the 70 don't. And it's very hard to start to make room, you know, if you're already in and you're like, well, hold on a second, can you move over there? We want to make room for everybody else. Whether that's physical room for housing or sports or schools or physical space on the roads, for cars driving in and out. You know, it's like a tide. This this wave of traffic comes in every morning and then leaves in the evening and then floods back in in the morning and floods back out in the evening. And it's very difficult for the people who live there to accommodate that flood. And it's very difficult for the people who want to come in. So how to solve where people and how to make it attractive for people to actually come in there. Um, I, I think affordability and moving, being able to transport for that to happen so that you can actually move around. It's both and. I think there's much more complex than that, but that's maybe your kind of two big keys. You know, like working in private sectors, you said like poacher turned gamekeeper, like now you're in the public sector. Are you looking at things in a different light? No, not really. I probably always felt that there was a a need for different types of house typologies. And like, as I said, I worked for different types of developers and, and communities and um, local authorities. Uh, and an awful lot of time, the, the brief that you're given from the developer is based on what the market wants. And the market is dictated by what sells the best what's the mortgage going to be given so you could end up with building houses that only satisfy you know what an auctioneer and a bank and a lending institution uh would deem to be the market and then we end up with the same type of units and i think there's a great challenge in that i think it could well be down to the way we zone lands and the way we, we give planning permission, 
you know, if a, if a piece of ground, a, a, a agricultural field, 10 acres, you know, is worth 10 grand an acre, you know, that's 100 grand. You zone that, you rezone it, and all of a sudden it's worth 10,000, 100,000 an acre. And you multiply that, you know, you've increased the value. And then you go and get planning permission on it, and it's worth another multiple of that. So nobody's done anything really, you know, apart from the local authority might have put in the roads and the infrastructure and the sewerage and, you know, all the other bits that go with it. Um, and then we go and sell the houses and they're not affordable, you know. So how do we make things affordable, you know, and, and where is that? How do we achieve that? You know, um, I, 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 I could see that in private practice, you know, and, and definitely that was one part of, you know, giving up private practice to to work on the discussion on the other side. You know, is it something that we always have to be just, you know, three bed semis uh, and sprawl because the the. the the delivery of the tree bed semi and the car gives you the same answer, whether it's Galway or whether it's Clonmel or whether it's, you know, Drada. Um, it's the same answer. Um, and it gives a very mono type of, um, occupant. You know, it's the, it's the, it's the family, which are, it's fantastic. There should be families and they should, they should be housed. But, you know, what happens when they get older and the kids leave? Do you want to leave your community? Should there be housing for elderly within that structure? What about when the kids want to leave? They don't want to live with the parents. Is there one and two bed units that, you know, the kids could could stay there? You know, so a mixed community is a healthy community, I think. You know, we did this with the we did a project, the Merlin Woods project. And uh, it's down by Ballyban, uh, down Quilcher Merlin, where we we designed a uh, 103 housing units, but within that there's five live, live work units that kind of live out into the plaza to give a kind of sense of civic space. There's a crash. There's 85 affordable units in terraces. There's four units for special needs. There's age friendly units and there's units above kind of duplex units for for younger people and that was seen as a kind of a potential template for a mixed development as opposed to having gated communities where only people with disabilities are in this area or only old people are in this area or only rich people are in this area or you know that's not real you know why make a groupings like that you know why why segregate everybody and put them in order you know because we we all change, you know. At one stage we we're at school, and another stage where you might be married with children, another stage you might be a pensioner. You know, it's not the same. People change. It's not actually the the same category of people, you know. And 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 when you build yourself into a community, and you you get settled in a community, it's quite healthy to be able to stay in that community you know your your ties and your social network and your you know the clubs that you might be involved with or the activities that you're involved with if you pluck people out of that community and put them into a different community it's very unsettling for people um and i, I think if we want to make stable settled neighborhoods you know building them and giving 
you know, a lifelong potential. They don't, people don't have to stay there, but there's a potential that you can stay there. And I think that's where these three bed semi estates, you know, they're, they're cul-de-sac estates. And once you get to the empty nester, like you either an elderly person living in a three or four bedroom house that they don't want to move because that's their community, but they've no option to move. You know, it's interesting. Like I was in um, Grenada recently and, you know, the city was so, like it was a middle of the week. It was like a Tuesday night, Wednesday night that the the restaurants, there was a real buzz there. People were all living above the, the shops there. There was, you know, a lot of people lived in the city and, you know, that's from, you know, from medieval times, that's the way it's been there and it stayed that way. So it's interesting because the way you're talking about a, an ideal city, you could say, or town, it was sort of the way it was in the past. It's you know what I mean, and 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 that way of living is also the way we can help with getting to net zero. I would say in the future, that old style. Yeah, well, the the net zero, I think, is a really helpful discussion. I remember my professor saying this, you know, in the nineties, that the environmental lobby was was our friend, and I. I it really stuck with me at the time because I was thinking we're developers, you know, we're urbanists and we were, we're trying to make it more building. And, but what he was getting at was that the communities that we're trying to build were compact. They were, um, not resource heavy. And it was an awful lot of, about walking and, and, you know, making those kind of uh, safe spaces to, to, to live, you know, low crime and, you know, um, low amount of uh, servicing of, you know, lighting or sewage or police, you know, because you have a small footprint as opposed to a very large footprint. And we looked at this with the EU bid. We did an EU bid with the um, the Galway Culture Company, the the Chamber of Commerce, the uh, North Regional Authority, the, uh, the two universities. Um, so uh, it was a, a, a civic chair, Dave Vicky, who was really interesting, um, to bring everybody together. And we took one block. We just said, what happens if you take one block and what could that do as a change? So, um, we studied the one block and we, we identified that it was 47% vacant. So the block in the middle of Galway, I'm not going to identify which block it was, but there was one block. Very, very um, expensive shops on this block, really high profile block, but it's 47% vacant and it was about 300 people living in it, which is pretty good. But we reckon that you could have easily have had 100% uh, occupancy, but more building. You could have had another 50%. So we could have tripled the amount of use on that block um quite easily now of course you need to take the landowners and the owners of the buildings and you need to kind of sit down and you need to negotiate and you need to work and we reckon that if this was the bid that if you were to put you know uh an architect an engineer um somebody legal just on that block for three years what would their wages cost and what would the benefit of that be what could you achieve in the three years now, if you were to achieve that, and that was 
successful and you were able to say, well, demonstrate, look, if you really work your asset and you really work that space, our rate space goes up. The um the health of the city long term will be really, really good. But also then our carbon footprint would be reduced. So if we were to instead of getting 300 people living on this block, there was 900 people, the 600 people that would have been accommodated probably on the outskirts. The amount of movement, especially if they had cars to get anywhere compared to them, if they were living within this block, which is a fabulous block. Um, do you get a rating for that carbon? So if development is seen in the future, not just on an economic basis, as in how much does it cost to build? Because it's much more expensive to build in the block, build in the city centre than it is on a green field. You have a lot less objection if people see that you're building on a green field than living in the urban block. So is there a carbon budget that we should be looking at that if you develop the block, you get a credit? So, you know, you pay, you know, 10 million pounds for that, that block to be re reinvigorated, but you get a five million pound credit back on your carbon because your long term live thing. And then you also tax the greenfield development for for its carbon. Now, I don't know what way that calculates up. Like, you know, I'm sure there's ways of doing that. But it's much more sustainable to to tackle our carbon footprint by reusing the existing land that we have and reworking it. Um and maybe not knocking down buildings, maybe re purposing them um maybe making additions and changes to to the existing but we don't have to build any of the streets or the roads we don't have to surge or the electric services everything's there already this land is serviced it's just not being used to its full capacity you know and if if you had a a kid who came and said you know they want more you know ice cream or something you'd be like oh well you didn't finish the, the other bit yet first you know, we we should finish what we've started, tidy that up to an absolute, you know, maximum capacity um, before we continually do the easy thing, which the easy thing is just keep building out in the greenfield. And that is that is the easiest thing to do. When you take in the land value of the agricultural long term land value, the, the actual soil that has a real good return and is of high, high quality. And you blend that with the carbon movement of all those cars and how those people live. There has to be a cost that's not been calculated up in the financial cost, the short term financial cost of rebuilding in, in internal places, which are more difficult. I think the debate has been thwarted into the three bed semi or an apartment. The land that a three bed semi takes up is colossal compared to some of these other housing typologies that, you know, th that we have in Ireland already or that are kind of in Holland or in Sweden or in, in more dense cities. But we're still talking about own door access. And I think that's important for from an Irish context. I think own door access is probably quite important because of the just the potential to get from your space to the street. And we don't share really well. <laughs> I think in Ireland, I think that might be another generation or two before that actually happens. But um, I don't see the problem living next door to somebody. 
like as in you you share walls or floors. Follow up from that is like, do you think that there is an attitudinal change then? Like, are people changing, particularly younger people? I think the more the people travel, and I think more the younger people, I think definitely the need to have a car and the need to, um, I, I, it's kind of funny. I, I used to go around the, what's called it, the, um, show houses, either the show houses that I designed and the apartments that I designed or other people's ones. And I'd listen to the most brutally honest reviews of your work where the, the, the customers walking around talking about your stuff, you know, and that was my Saturday sometimes be, you know, being at the, the, the show house and the opening and, you know, but one thing that was always quite prevalent was the young couple who were looking at the apartment kind of going, oh, this is fab. And then mom and dad kind of saying, it's not a proper house. It doesn't have a garden for the children. It doesn't have a car. Place where you park. You have to think sensible. It's not a good investment. And that, that attitude, I think was 20 years ago, was thwarted with that generation. I think the next generation that didn't buy that unit, their children are probably you know, stayed in a being Airbnb in Bordeaux or something and have, you know, experienced what it can be like, urban life. They want to be part of that space. I'd say that that idea of the half acre site or or living, you know, away, there's not the fear of that anymore. There's not the stigma of that anymore. So I think it's down to the architects and, you know, the planners and all of us to actually to create nicer spaces to live into never mind just the units you know that there's a that back to that neighborhood idea that you know you've got that critical mass of people that actually make the coffee shop work or the shop work or you know the square or the football pitch or you know all those ingredients that there's not a, a sporadic density that you know no there'll be no services in this area because it's just not that mass um and a quality unit like what what direction what orientation the unit is in what's the storage like what's the bin collection like what's your parking like just the simple things if you have an electric car how do you charge it you know i think all those things would go to making somebody say this will work for me or it won't work for me you know is there a bus route you know is there a transport route how do i get to work Tell us, you know, for your job, you know, you said you worked in private practice and now I'm in with the Galway City Council and you've been in public service for a few years. Do you get great sense of satisfaction from that? Personally? Personally, yeah. Like, for me, I kind of see that there's a really big question here. And like, I've been to university, I've gone back and I've taught in university for years on this topic. I've worked in private practice for years. I've been active in this community, kind of trying to um, change from a from a civic point of view, from a kind of a a, a resident of the of Drada. And now I find myself on another part of this, and then I think there's a real genuine um, want by by people working in the local authority to to solve this problem. You know, and to be part of that engagement, I don't see it as a dem and us, and I don't see the problem as 
how do you say, un, unsurmountable. But I do think by by putting the placards down, and this is something I said when I was in, in Drada, you know, I'll get involved with the community group as long as we put the placards down and we actually go and talk and and try, try to really resolve that. And in the really successful communities of the future, I, I can I can see that happening. The likes of Boyle, you know, they they didn't. It was a real honest engagement. So I was like my grandfather was a was a civil servant. He was an architect in Dublin Corporation. My father was a civil servant. He was in the legal advisor and the minister of environment. I didn't expect to be in the local authority. But I'm really engaged in the in the discussion about placemaking and 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 this is a really good place to be to have that discussion and you know to try and bridge all that kind of discussion together in, in a really upfront and honest way. There's no other way of putting it. I, I'm I'm not here for the pension. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not here to clock in. I'm I'm just really engaged in the topic of the town. And and you genuinely see that with so many people who work in the local authority, they're really engaged and really genuine about what what they want to do, and and that's very um, exciting to be part of that. And I like like there's no end of work in the local authority. You know, there's just so much to do. Um, and I think if we if you start making some successes, I think. Places like building on that, and I can see Galway is very successful at, at you know identifying opportunities and building on that. You know, so I I, I think it's very exciting. I, I if any of my colleagues wanted to work, you know, I would I would you know when we get a job, I I send it out to my 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 network on LinkedIn or on Facebook or whatever, kind of saying there's a job in Galway. It's one of the best jobs you're going to get. Like really are you're working with the community, you're working with urban plans and urban the urban question as opposed to, you know, individual small small elements. You know, they need to be done too. But yeah, no, it's I, I, it's frustrating and it's fantastic. You know, it's it's all things at the same time. Of course. I mean you have to read collaborator in your role, don't you? Like as you're you're dealing with the general public. Chamber of Commerce, architects, planners, developers. There's a huge difference. All those different groups. And the, the impression I get from you is, you know, you like the idea, you know, if things are to improve, more, there has to be more of a coordination between all the different groups. Yeah, I think that's, for me, that's a kind of, that's one of the most important points is that I don't have the answer. And the guys in the seventies, you know, uh, the allowed and team 10, they didn't have the answers, but it was about creating a, a, a space like a, like the, like the, the old public square, you know, that place to debate, to meet, to discuss, you know, to, to resolve how to do things. And I think if we, if we're going to be successful, we need to understand the difference between, you know, all the conflicting needs. And, and for space, you know, we're, we're at the end of the day, we're talking about money and space, you know, and what what way do we create that and what's the legacy of that? And maybe there's ways of being 
smart where you can you can spend money that those two or three things at the same time you know you can share the space for different things at different times and the building can be adapted over time to be something else you know just this one use for everything it creates a very large footprint where if you look at the old medieval galway they built the wall around it because that was the size they could afford to 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 occupy and then everything became very compact within that. You didn't have the luxury of saying, I'm going to own this space and this space is only for that, you know? So, um, yeah, I think, I think if we go back to collaboration, you'll start seeing, you know, how did the, all the trade routes go from Spanish Arch to get to Galway? And then how did the hinterland of Connemara and, you know, Loch Carb come into Galway? And where did they trade? And how do they collaborate? Probably in different languages, you know, to make a successful footprint of a of a of the city, you know. So, yeah, I think we might need to go back to that, you know, um, collaboration with everybody. You know, it's not just one lobby group winning and another lobby group losing out, or exactly. you know, one one form of transport, one type of housing, one type of whatever, you know. Emmett, thank you so much for that. I think this interview will be of interest to anybody who's interested in urban planning or, you know, the future of Galway City or any city, really. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening and we look forward to sharing some more great interviews every Tuesday. Please subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your podcasts and you'll be the first to hear new episodes every Tuesday. You are listening to the Galway City Your Council podcast.